Welcome to the podcast, Life with Jerry Williams. My name is Jerry Williams. This episode, a little different than what we've done so far in season three. Uh, we're not going to share any good news for this week. This is going to be more deliberately uh, all about one theme. We are coming up on the third anniversary of the passing of my dad. So as part of this episode, uh, in the next segment, I will share an interview I did with him a few months before he passed away. Of course, at that time, none of us knew that that event was coming. My dad had published a book, Been There, Done That. And so I interviewed him about that book, which is basically a memoir. And, and that is coming up. Uh, right now, though, I'd like to share some of the words that I shared at his funeral. It's been now nearly three years since my dad passed away. He was born December 5th, 1925, and passed away early Sunday morning, October the 8th, 2017. His funeral was on Wednesday, October the 11th, 2017, and the following is what I said at his funeral. Pap is a name that he gave himself. And that's what my brother and sister and I often called him. Our spouses, our kids, our kids' kids also referred to him by that name. I, I don't have the words. Yet the occasion demands something be said. Something with some level of profundity. I'm not sure I can muster that. So allow me to simply tell you a little bit about my dad. He was a baseball fan. And I think at one point in his life, he must have dreamed of playing. I believe this because he would often be standing or sitting in the living room. And in a moment of relative quiet, he would blurt out, Pap, pump that fastball knee high right down the middle. And in his younger days, he would often accompany that with a pitching motion. And looking back over his life, that particular phrase has taken on very special meaning. But I'll get to that in a moment. One of the earliest conversations I recall having with my dad concerned baseball. I must have been four or five. It was 1962 or 1963, and he asked me, who's your favorite team? Now, you have to understand that my dad was a lifelong Cleveland Indians fan, which really is just another way of saying that he was a lifelong New York Yankees hater. Between 1948, the last time the Indians won the World Series, and 1964, the Yankees won the American League pennant every year but three. 48, when Cleveland won the World Series. 1954, when Cleveland won the American League pennant but lost the World Series. And 1959, when the Chicago White Sox won it. The Indians finished second behind the Yankees in six of those years. So when my dad asked who my favorite team was, I answered with another question. Who's the best? Dad was an Indians fan, but he was also a man of integrity. So he had no choice but to answer my question by saying, the Yankees. To which I replied, then the Yankees are my favorite. Pap pumped that fastball knee-high right down the middle. Truth is like a fastball. High, hard heat coming at you with a Let's see how you can handle this kind of attitude. If life is a baseball game, then my dad was a fastball pitcher. Some years ago, and I'm not even sure how the topic came up, my dad told me, I pray for all of you kids and your kids by name every night. 
Whenever we'd visit mom and dad, they would usually go to bed earlier than the rest of us. And if I happened to walk past their bedroom after they had turned in, I would hear them praying. Well, I tried that for a while, but I found myself falling asleep before I'd gotten halfway through praying for family members. So I moved my prayer time to my 30-minute commute to work, praying for the needs of family and friends. And some days I actually finish the whole list before I get to the office. Now, there were a couple of years, not so very long ago, which were quite trying for our family. My sister-in-law, Jewel, was diagnosed with MDS about five years ago and passed away in April of 2016. Then in February of 2017, my wife, Terry, was diagnosed with breast cancer. My nephew passed away unexpectedly that September. He was only 21. And scattered in that time frame, other family members suffered from other health ailments and financial difficulties, marital struggles. It seemed like the more I prayed for people, the worse things got for them. I'm going to stop praying for people altogether, I told my dad on one of our weekly phone calls. It seems like the more I pray for them, the worse off they are. Oh, no, he told me. You keep praying and you let the Lord worry about the rest. Pat pumped that fastball knee high right down the middle. Over the years, I've had the privilege of preaching at the funerals of three people. One was a man with whom I shared three grandsons, my daughter-in-law's father. Then there was a co-worker who was my on-air partner off and on for 15 years. And there was a woman I had never met. She was the mom of a co-worker who must have seen something of my father in me when he asked me if I would speak at her service. Well, I said yes, and then I called my dad for advice. Did she know Jesus, he asked. I don't know. I, I never met her, I said. We talked a while longer. He suggested some scriptures, talking with the family to get to know more about her. And then he said, whether she knew the Lord or not, you have to give the people there, and especially her family, hope. The hope that only comes from a relationship with Jesus. Pat pumped that fastball, knee high, right down the middle. And that is a large part of what made my father who he was. Truth tempered with hope. The Bible tells us that there are three virtues, faith, hope, and love, which will never end. Of those three, for me at least, hope is the toughest to define. We exercise faith every day. When you sit down in a chair, you put your faith in the chair. You believe it will support your weight. And love, well, love is best demonstrated in the work of Jesus on the cross, the creator becoming like the creation and paying the price of our sin, perfect justice and perfect mercy in the perfect act of love. But what of hope? Well, hope sees us through the cruelest of truths. The Bible tells us to boast in the hope of the glory of God and glory in our sufferings, because those sufferings eventually lead to hope. And hope does not disappoint or put us to shame. And that hope is what saw me through those days when my dad's hope and faith had just become sight. It's what got him through 91 plus years. It keeps my mom going, all of us going. The hope that if we know Jesus, we will all be together in heaven one day. And Pap always pumped that fastball knee high right down the middle.
Back in May of 2017, I had my dad on my radio show on The Joy FM. He had just published a book, a memoir, entitled Been There, Done That. And that book is still available on Amazon. I'll put a link to that page on Amazon for you in the show notes of this episode of the podcast. Of course, at that time, we didn't realize that October of that year, he would pass away. So this is the interview I did with my father as he shares some of the stories from his memoir, Been There, Done That. Uh, my dad on the phone, he's written a book called Been There, Done That. First of all, how are you, Dad? I'm fine, thank you. You sound a little stuffy. You still got a cold or something? What's going on? Yeah, I'm just getting over a cold. Oh, okay. Well, good. Hope you're feeling well. I am. Thank you. So you've got this book out now called Been There, Done That, and it's available right. online. And I checked. It's also available on Amazon. Did you know that? No, I didn't, but that's good. Yeah, it is. So what inspired you or what, what motivated you to write this book? I tell you, I've been thinking a lot about it. I figured that I let people know that God can and will change the life of even one with a very, very wasted youth, which was the way I was when I was young. So up until even long after I got out of the army, I just did everything. And I, when I said, been there, done that, that is true. I have been there and I've done everything, which was not, I'm sure, pleasing to the Lord. <laughs> You spent a little bit of time on your youth growing up during the Depression and, and yes. your, uh, your nine siblings, or there were nine kids in the family in total. Uh-huh. Uh, you give a little bit of a blurb on each one of your siblings. You talk about high school. The one thing you didn't mention, and uh, you mentioned that you're a Cleveland Browns fan. That's right. But you didn't mention anything at all about the Cleveland Indians. Well, I am a Cleveland Indian fan, too. The reason I mentioned that I was a Cleveland Browns fan is because everything was so hopeless with them, you know, and I think I, I wanted people to pray for for me. <laughs> oh. Anyway, this is the year I think they're going to go up. <laughs> well, we'll have to see about that. I know that. You also mentioned that you uh, were in. You got drafted into the army, uh, and you had suffered from asthma as a as a kid. And yeah. you you so you didn't mention anything at all about asthma to the army doctor, so that you would pass the physical. That's right. When when he got us together, he says those with hay fever, asthma, and whatever else, go to the end of the room. He I think that he was going to put those with that on limited service. I did not go to the end of the room. I just ignored it. So I got past. I got past. A1, so that's it. My Aunt Lena was very, very grief-stricken about this because she was, she was afraid something would happen to me, but I couldn't help it. I, I just wanted to pass. Well, and you mentioned a little bit about going to Italy and being in a combat zone, and then you said, but that's all I'm going to say about that. You have never in my life shared any stories about anything in the Army except for occasionally going and, and like getting watermelons out of a field in Italy or something uh, like that. That's right. Well, it's, it's because I, there's, nothing, there's nothing glamorous or good about war, and I just, actually, I've tried to block much of it out of my mind. Our, our whole outfit got a bronze star, because we were in the combat area, but I, I just, I, you know, I, I don't like to think about it. I, I don't like to talk about it. I, I hate it. I, I, I had a lot of good friends in the Army, but the, 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 the war experience was not nice. It wasn't good. And I, I, that's enough. That, that is enough for me. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, you came back from the Army. You continued your kind of wild and crazy ways. And you had grown up going to Sunday school and church. I mean, you mentioned that in the book. And hey, I, know I was from- kind of a hypocrite. I'll tell you something. We had a very mean old maid aunt in my uh, family. She, she could get very mean. One good thing about her, and the Lord must have used her in a special way, she dragged all of us kids to 
Sunday school and church every Sunday. My mother couldn't go. She had nothing to wear, you know, and there was an occasion when she was working and she had this ragged dresses on and my dad came in and tore it right off of her. I think he was, he, he was frustrated and mad because he just could not support us, you know. He was an alcoholic and he, he just, uh, he just drank, drank and drank. So he wasn't the best father, he wasn't the best husband, but anyway, I understand that he did, while I was in seminary, accept Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord right before he died. So I give the Lord thanks for that. So how do you get from being a guy going out, doing all these things that you are now not proud of, to going to seminary and being a pastor, even until now? I mean, you're still preaching now. Yeah, you know, as I said, I was kind of hypocritical. I, in fact, while I was drinking and running around even, I attended Sunday school in church, and they elected me a junior deacon. I was Sunday school superintendent. I was in drama in the church, and I still was doing all this stuff. I know sometimes I went to church for the hangover, but it dwelled on me. The Lord would not let me alone. I call him the hound of heaven to this day, you know. And one day, uh, I was in church, I was, I was listening to a sermon. It was a sermon on complete surrender, and it hit me hard. And then the next day, I was driving with a friend of mine, and the radio was on, and it was playing, I Surrender All. A good night, this is a, <laughs> uh, a double dose. So I thought, maybe this would be for me. Anyway, I, I really thought about it. It really was was heavy on my heart. So I didn't know what to do about it. I went to the pastor and I confessed everything to him that I was doing. He was shocked and amazed, but yet he could see that I was serious about it. So he prayed with me and he says, I think you want to go home and pray and think maybe the, the Lord's trying to call you to do something special. I thought that would be the day, you know, somebody <laughs> like me. I didn't go home and pray about it and it just kept at me and kept at me. I thought, good night, I can't keep this up. So I, I just, hey Lord, what do you want me to do? I went back to the pastor and he says, I think you ought to get prepared to go to college and seminary. So I uh, you know, oh my, for me, I, I, you know, I'm not this kind of guy. Well, I kept praying about it, and finally, I, it just was heavy on my heart. So the next Sunday, I went before the church and told them that I believe the Lord was calling me to the ministry. I, I know some of them, you know, they looked kind of strange at me, but uh, they figured when the Lord was calling me, he was calling me. And I had some financial help from the church. So I went to college and seminary in Chicago, and I worked my way through by waiting tables and stocking the pantry, and I saw another young woman there who was also waiting tables called Alice Thermal, and I just kept my eyes on her, <laughs> because she was the one for me. So anyway, that's the way it was, and I got through it. I graduated. First church was in Pittsburgh, and I purchased in Pittsburgh and New Jersey and Wheeling, West Virginia, Dallas Pike, West Virginia. Then I became a different pastor in Westfield, Ohio, my home church in Wellsburg, West Virginia. I go to, my wife and I go to an African-American church today. Uh, we like it. We've been accepted warmly by the people there. And when any church has five Sundays, I preach, and I teach a Bible study every Saturday. So I'm kind of semi-retired, not retired. You talk about attending an African-American church now. Yes. In your book, you, you didn't spend a lot of time on this, but I remember growing up in Jersey back in the 60s, you know, during the time of all that turmoil with the assassinations yeah. of the Kennedys and Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. and the riots oh. there in Newark where grandma, where our, your mom lived at the time, yeah. how, how you reached out to a couple of the African-American churches in our town, and we did and a lot I of did. stuff with them. We did combined drama and vacation Bible school. You didn't mention anything about that in the book. Well, you know, 
I could have mentioned a lot more in the book, you know, but I, I just wanted to, I wanted to dwell really on what the Lord did with me, one kind of person to another kind of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, you know. Right. The Lord allowed me to smother the Mr. Hyde part of me, come out as a Dr. Jekyll. But, you know, I'm, I'm not implying in any way, shape, or form that I'm even near perfect. There's a lot wrong with me that's not acceptable to the Lord. And there is to all of us. We're all sinners, saved by grace. I know that. I just want to focus more on that than anything. But yeah, I, we had, even when I was in Wheeling, we, we would kind of go back and forth with an African-American church. People love it. They like it. They like the change of cultures and things like that. They, they get something out of it. And I think it broadens their whole way of thinking, really. The other thing you didn't put a lot in the book about was me. Yeah, I know. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't put a lot, a lot in the book about anybody, really. you got to work on a sequel, then. Yes. I, well, it's not a sequel. Uh, I should really do that. But right now I'm working on a children's book called Josh in Goodyland. So we'll, we'll get to that later. Okay, when that comes out, we'll, uh, we'll have you back in. Yeah, good enough. I, good. I just want people to know that what the Lord can do to anybody, I mean anybody, just keep your minds open, that's all. Well, great. well I appreciate your time, Dad. Get, get, feel better. Oh, thank you. Thanks again, Dad. Thank you, Jerry. Have a good day. I plan on wearing a tie this Thursday, October the 8th, 2020. That is out of the ordinary for me. It will not be so much a fashion statement as an act of remembrance and honor. The tie in question is a Cleveland Indians tie that belonged to my father, who was a lifelong Indians fan. He passed away three years ago Thursday, on October the 8th, 2017. It's hard to believe it's been that long already. I have long known this truth, and during the years since my dad's death, I have experienced it in a very personal way. God's multiplication of blessings defies mathematics. We see a tangible example of this truth in the miracle of the fish and the loaves. Jesus took five loaves and two fish, gave thanks for them, and then fed over 5,000 people. After everyone had eaten their fill, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. In the version of the story recounted in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples had come to Jesus suggesting that they send the people away so they could go into surrounding villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus told them, you give them something to eat. I think that element of human participation is key to how God's math works especially when it comes to intangible things like joy, love, comfort. When we seek to work in concert with God, the more we give, the more we have. It's as if the supply of love or joy or comfort is limited only by our willingness to share it. Paul writes about God as the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God comforts us in all our affliction, and we are then to comfort others who are in any affliction with that same comfort we have received from God. That's not to say that we don't still grieve. We do. But that grief is tempered by hope, and in the case of a loved one who knew Jesus, by the knowledge that they are now in the presence of the living God, 
So we cherish those sweet memories, and we give thanks for the time we had together with loved ones now gone home. And we look forward to the day when, as Paul writes in encouragement to the Thessalonians, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And that's a wrap on another episode of Life with Jerry Williams, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please do subscribe to the podcast. That way you won't miss an episode. And if your podcast platform allows it, give us a review, a five-star rating. That will help other people find the podcast as well. In the show notes of this episode, I will have a link to my dad's book on Amazon, where it is still available, Been There, Done That, the memoir that he wrote and published just a few short months before he passed away. Coming up on the next episode of Life with Jerry Williams, the plan is to talk with a young man named Jack Griffin. If you have bought a package of Lay's potato chips lately, and it's been a barbecue potato chip bag, you've seen Jack's face, or at least the lower half of his face, as part of the uh, Smile with Lay's program. Well, Jack got on that because his dad nominated him. Lace does this every year. They take 30 people and they put them on the bags of potato chips. They're working with Operation Smile, but they're honoring people who have made an impact in their own communities. And Jack did that by founding a website and an app called Food Finder to help people find food pantries in their local area so they can make donations or volunteer or take advantage of the services offered by the food pantries if they need be. So that is hopefully going to happen on the next episode. Thank you again so much for being with us on this episode of Life with Jerry Williams, the podcast. 